Well, I'm excited for week two of Storyteller. Hope you are as well. We're looking at the parables of Jesus and so much that we can take away from uh, these incredible uh, insights that Jesus gives us. And I'm excited today because we have a, a friend of Elevation that is here, is going to be sharing in his second week. And I, I would just tell you that uh, we're thankful for the ministry that they, they're a ministry partner for us. So we, we uh, give and pray uh, for Amazon Outreach and what they do in South America. Just hearing the reports sometimes uh, just brings encouragement to me uh, for what God is doing. Because how many know God is working in our world? God is, and sometimes I need to hear how he's doing things. I see it around here, but in other places. And so today you hear a little bit about that. But, but uh, David Pepper is going to dig into the word this morning. And, and uh, he is a, uh, he's a great preacher. And uh, him and Loray are with us. And so it seems like it's been four or five years that we've been trying to work out a time for him to come. And it worked out to be a part of this series. And his word this morning was like spot on for what we needed. And I'm excited um, he's, he's been a, he was a pastor, I don't know, for like, when you pastor, it could be 100 years, you don't know. But he's pastored for several years in Alaska and pastored a, a great church, it's still a great church there, and now he is uh, doing mission work in South America. And I want us to do this for him and Loray, his wife. Can you make them, give them a big elevation welcome, make them welcome to Elevation this morning. Thank you, Pastor Tony. It's such a great joy to get back to Elevation Church, uh, it has been a brutal winter up north in Alaska. All of you down here in the colonies have had it a little bit easier this year. Um, Lorraine and I actually travel a lot, so blessed to have my wife with me as we travel. And just recently we're in Peru for a month, uh, back in the U.S. for a few weeks. We'll be heading back tonight to Peru. Uh, we got a team of 42 people coming to do all kinds of great things, drill wells, do medical, dental clinics help with some projects, building a pastor's home, and so uh, we're just blessed, and I want to thank you, Elevation, for the partnership, for uh, all of your prayers for us, and I was blessed just at the move of the Holy Spirit that I've already felt here today. We're having church here at Elevation, and you know, when, when I travel, sometimes it's a tragic thing to hear when somebody will ask, and they'll say, is God doing anything out there, anywhere in the world, and I think, what a, what a terrible impoverishing in their spiritual lives if they're not experiencing the move of God and the kingdom of God advancing, and I just have a testimony today that God is at move here at Elevation, and God is doing good things. I sense that in a powerful way. I want to send greetings uh, from my parents. Got a picture of them. They're still going strong. That's how I got connected to Pastor Tony and Kim and their family years ago. They drove a vehicle up to Alaska for my parents, and um, they're still going strong. They're octogenarians um, in their 80s and not slowing down at all. Uh, you know, my dad, he just wants to kick the devil one more time before he kicks the bucket. And uh, he was just in India, flew back, all excited to tell me about it as he was in between planes trying to get from Detroit to Pittsburgh to preach this Sunday. Uh, they're really, they're, they're like the farmer's insurance commercial. They know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. And how many are blessed by the older generation having seen a thing or two and the wisdom that they'll give? And, and that blesses me. Like my mother is still writing books to help people in the tribes and uh, in South America, uh, they're 
my dad's doing all kinds of teaching materials, coming to Proustal every year, gathering evangelists on fire, just not wanting to give up. And that blesses me because at age 55, sometimes I just feel like I'm losing some steam. Anybody ever feel like that? And you just wonder, is the time to just hang it up? But when I see him doing all that he does, that just makes me realize I've got a few Chuck Norris moves left in my life, and so do you uh, here today. And so also want to show a picture of uh, our grandkids, the reason why we moved our residency back to Alaska from Washington. That's just the eight youngest. We couldn't even get them all together over Christmas at the same time for a photo, uh, but those are all four years and under, so something's going on in the water in Alaska, and they're not all done yet, so Pastor Tony, I'm going to be doing missions work till the day I leave this planet because uh, I didn't realize grandkids would be so expensive, you know. Some of you know that. I'm learning that, but we're so blessed to do what we do, and uh, just it's a privilege to be able to share the Word of God today, and we'll get to Luke 15 and unpacking three of the parables today. Pastor Tony did a great job launching the series last Sunday. I watched that on Facebook, and I know some are probably watching live right now in this service, and we want to welcome you. And anybody that is a guest today online or here at Elevation, I want you to know that's a great set of pastors. This is an amazing church. If we lived in this area of southern Indianapolis, this would be our home church, and we want to thank you for the partnership. But I see three qualities that we must possess to advance the kingdom of God and to do the mission of God. So take your hands and raise them up and make a fist. Like you're hanging on, like you're hanging out with me on the Amazon jungle, you're on a quebrada, a little tributary, and below you there's caiman alligators and piranhas, and you're hanging on to a vine on the shoreline. And say this word with me, say tenacity. It takes tenacity to advance the kingdom of God, and I'm going to be sharing some stories in a few minutes of this, but it's never you making a better spiritual muscle in your own strength. It's not you or I trying to live out of our best expression of our altruistic self, but it's simply allowing Jesus to be amazing in us and through us by his Holy Spirit. Amen? Now take your hand and put it out with your palm up and say this word with me. Say humility. It takes humility in the kingdom of God. As we want to live on mission for the Lord, we must remain humble and know who we are in God and know who he is, and he's the one that gets all the credit, amen? He gets all the glory and all the praise no matter what is happening to advance the kingdom of God. And, and take your hands and go like this. About four and a half years ago, I finally got talked into going to Nepal with a friend of mine that used to be on staff with me and was a missionary there. And... I had, a I had a train a long time. We were hiking 20 miles in the Himalayan mountains on the Great Himalayan Trail. And everywhere you go, all the people, it doesn't matter what religion you are, they, they'll go like this and they'll say this word, namaste. And that can mean many things. It can mean a greeting of hello. It can mean a blessing for somebody. But when we would give them gifts and we would give them gospel tracts, they would say that. And it simply means thank you. Say this word with me. Say gratitude. It takes gratitude in the kingdom of God and for us to live on mission for the Lord. And so when we take the gospel, we are also the hands and feet of Jesus. We give aid. We do outreaches with food supplies and medical and dental teams. We drill water wells. Our last team from Naperville, Chicago, helped us drill nine wells. This team that's coming this next week, they're going to be drilling 12 wells, helping households and entire neighborhoods with having potable water and 
And so, uh, but we're also a big believer in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I want to see hell empty and heaven full. And it takes a demonstration, a manifestation of God's Spirit. And uh, I want to show this picture of this man, Marcos Londonio. He's one of our evangelists. He works on the lower Amazon, right up to the border of Colombia and Brazil. And uh, in December, we had our, our annual pastors gathering where we tried to bring in as many of our pastors and leaders. We had 500 there, our evangelists. And on the Monday morning, our Peruvian leadership, they do all their business stuff, and I don't go to that, uh, that meeting. And, but I kicked off the conference that night. I preached the first message. I had a great team of preachers. We're trying to get Pastor Tony down in the future to preach for us at one of these conferences. And at the end, I felt led to have a time for healings and miracles and those that needed, whether it was in their soul or physical body. And many of our leaders came up, and uh, I prayed through everything I could imagine that could be a problem for them. And then our team laid hands on them. And this man, he was up in the front, and tears were coming down his eyes. His hands shoot up, and he starts praising the Lord. And, and I, I sense that there was a few miracles that happened in the moment. How many know God can heal in a moment? He can heal over time. And for some, we get our ultimate healing when we go to be with Jesus, where there will be no more pain or sickness or disease. And, and so we got some testimonies of one brother. He couldn't lift his arm, and he was all excited. His arm was going up. Another man had come, and he had fallen and hurt himself on the side. It had broken ribs and bruised. And... And he said, man, I feel totally good. I can dance. And, and then Marcos, he goes to share his testimony. And all of our, our leaders knew it because he was in that business meeting. I didn't know. But he had had a stroke a week before. He couldn't speak. Part of his face was paralyzed. His wife didn't want him to come to the conference, but he was so determined with tenacity to come. And he was there in humility, just asking Jesus, and then he gave the testimony how in a moment God opened his voice. And this is three days later when I'm meeting with all of our evangelists, and he's sharing his testimony that he's going to continue being a voice in the darkness for the Lord and sharing about some new villages that had just opened up and 40 people that had gotten saved and wanting to build a building for them. And so I'm a big believer in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it's an incurable thing, and I don't want to be cured anytime soon over that belief. I want to share this testimony of the Kandoshi tribe before we get into the parables. And um, there's this family, we'll show the picture, Charles Hahn and his family, back from 1966 to 1970, was working in the Datem de Marañón area of Peru, South America, wanting to reach this tribe. We call them the Kandoshis today. That's what they like to be called. Back in the day, they were called the Maratos, the people of death. They, were, they would shrink heads when they killed somebody. The most macho man would have the most shrunken heads, and uh, it's kind of a gross thing. It offends our Western sensibilities to chop a head off, extract the skull, sew it back up, and have a potion of ingredients that they would put in a pot and cook down. And somehow my mother got a hold of that recipe, and we, we don't know. We're like, Mom, what, what, why did you get that? What were you wanting to do with that? And she just gets this kind of evil grin on her face. And uh, we don't know what she planned with it, but I'll tell you what, for about 60 years, my dad has towed the line and been a good husband, I'll tell you that. So, uh, But he, he was. He, I read his newsletters, and he had very little what we would call success in the church. Just a few people got saved, only one disciple. I'll show you the picture of Kushto, his one disciple. And and many would say, you know, we, we look at things on, on the outward many times, but in his newsletter he would write, we know that we're sowing seeds in the flannel graphs when we teach and 
How many remember flannel graphs back in the day and, and sharing the, the stories of Jesus, like the parables, and, and trying to communicate with them? And we're not seeing a great harvest today, but we know that the seeds we're sowing will bring a great harvest one day. Kushto had a high IQ. He could pick up languages quickly. He came to uh, my father's Bible academy in Iquitos, Peru, the Mepi Academy, he got trained, went back to share the gospel, and they killed him. How many know that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church and something transforms a region when somebody is willing to even lay their lives down and represent even the, the sacrifice that Jesus gave when he died on that cross? And so fast forward many years, a, a few Kandoshi people had gotten saved, different groups had tried to work there, but it was an unreached people group. And we started getting connected in 2013 with this group. And when I was in, in the area in 2014 where we'd only had one church back in those days, um, in that whole area, and it wasn't a, in a Kandoshi village, a Mestizo village. Uh, they invited me to come back the next year in 2015 and to hold a conference. So I brought some friends, and uh, I'll show you the picture here. When we first arrived, we thought there'd be 40, maybe our best hopes were 70 or 80 already Christian people coming to gather. And we get there, there's over 500, there's 31 chiefs. Almost nobody is a Christian when we get there, and so we just had to chuck our, our plans for, you know, our Christianese conference. And we said, well, what are we going to do? And well, in the, in the book of Acts, they would preach Jesus, right? And people need to get saved. So have a picture of this first meeting in the morning as I'm sharing the gospel of Christ when this chief stands up and starts railing in Kandoshi. And I mean, he looked fierce and angry. And I thought, this is it. I'm taking a spear and going home to be with Jesus. And Lorraine will cash in that life insurance policy. And she'll live her best life now and forever with that money. And uh, but then they finally shared what he said, and he said, stop, I've heard enough. <laughs> That's not something you want to hear as a preacher this week or in the weeks to come in the parable series. And he said, myself and the people from my village, we are ready to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And this picture was taken right as these 30 people come up forward and give their lives to Christ. And, and we thought, well, man, what do we do next? Well, we got to, in the Bible, they would water baptize people. So we took them out to the Chaputi River and You'll notice I'm closer to shore than a couple of my first-time friends to the jungle, and they're out there in the deeper waters where creatures lurk. And, uh, and so uh, we water baptized many that time, and then we were like, well, in the Bible, they would pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and lay hands on them. And so that night, we had a time of empowerment. It was such a beautiful, I always remember that night, the Holy Spirit descended on that tribal group, and people were magnifying God, praising God, speaking in tongues, prophesying, and we started the conference, they wouldn't even, they didn't even know how to sing or clap or nothing. By the end, if one of us was doing the half windshield wiper move, then they were following it exactly. If you went all out like this, man, they would do the spread wide eagle thing with their arms, and, and what a beautiful thing to see. And so as time would go on, I, I want to show you this uh, picture of uh, this man, Wachapa. A few years later, I'm meeting with our evangelist, and our evangelist for the area had turned it over, so he'd raised up disciples from three regions of the Kondoshis, and they were planning churches overseeing, and they're giving me the report, and I go, man, you look so familiar, Wachapa, I go, are you Chief Wachapa Chubin? He goes, yes, I met you in 2015, that's when I became a Christian and gave my life to God, and then I got some training at the Bible Academy, continued to be discipled. And now he's one of our evangelists, and he was giving me the report of what was taking place that year. They had a time where they gathered people over 500 water baptism at one of these events. It took them six hours to baptize all of those Kandoshi people. And we can just go through these pictures. And so 
This year I was blessed to get back into that region um, to hold three outreaches where we took medical teams and, and shared with conferences. And what a beautiful thing to see that now over 50% of this tribe know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We have churches in over 30 of these villages with numerous ones still taking place. And we're wanting to see that whole tribe come to know Jesus. So one more time, take your hand and make a fist. Say tenacity. Take your hand with palm up and say this. Say humility. And then take your hands like this and say gratitude. And so as you turn to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at these lost parables, what I call the lost parables, we have to remember that, and it's, maybe it's hard for us to understand this, but when Christianity first arose in the world, it was not called a religion. It was actually the non-religion, and even some of the early neighbors of Israel, they looked at these Christians coming out and spreading, even in other nations, and they called them atheists because they didn't have any stuff. They were like, where is your temples? Where are your priests? <laughs> where is your sacrifices? Where is your bling? Where is your ceremony and your pomp? And, and, uh, and so much of the world at that time, they were wanting to see either a religion or a morality of moralism, but Christianity was something totally different. And this is what we're going to look at today in these lost parables. In law, it's called a tertium quid. It's something entirely different. It's not one of those two things. And Jesus shares the heart of who God the Father is in these parables. And as we dive into this, we need to know first who was the audience that Jesus was speaking to. There was three groups of people that I'm going to categorize. There was the Pharisees and the religious teachers or the scribes. They're called both things. The scribes, they would write down the laws. They were in charge of all the, there'd be like a, a lawyer today, but, and I met a lawyer earlier in the, before the first service, uh, but like a lawyer of not just civil things, but also of religious things. And then there was this group of the Pharisees with them. And, uh, and then you have another category of people, and the other category of people is the sinners. And in the translation we'll look at, it says notorious sinners, the really bad sinners, and the tax collectors who were despised. And then there was Jesus' disciples, and this is the audience that is going to be listening to Jesus. And this is about things that are lost. How many have that special ability to lose something? If you're married to somebody, you know somebody with you, you can point at the person, all right? The, this, we're not accusing anybody today, but you can point them out that they're the ones that lose stuff. When Lorraine and I were first married, I was the one that always lost my wallet, my driver's license, my keys, and somehow uh, we exchanged our superpowers, and now I'm the one that doesn't tend to lose things, and she's the one recently that will lose her stuff. And that happened to us with a passport a while back, trying to get to Peru, and we scoured the house for over an hour, and finally found it under the copy machine. She was making a copy of it to have an extra paper copy of uh, the passport. And so in Luke 15, Jesus tells us these three stories, and we're going to see the priority of God. Verses 1 to 3, the tax collectors and other no notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. We can see that these groups have different priorities, and we're going to see the very priority of God. And so we have these groups, the Pharisees. They were, 
They were the purest. Honestly, if most of us were followers of Jehovah, of God, back in that time, many of us would probably have ended up, we would be Pharisees in those days, wanting to know the Scriptures and believing that the Scriptures had the life, but they were missing out on whom the ones the Scripture spoke of, which was Jesus. They were the people that were purest. They were rebelling against the Sadducees and who had polluted uh, the worship of God by materialism and cultural humanism. And, and the, the Pharisees were very committed to the Scriptures, but Jesus told them, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. They believe that heaven threw a party over their morality, over their good works, but they're about to find out who heaven really throws a party for. And they missed out. So crazy. They, they had the scriptures that pointed to Jesus, but they didn't recognize him. They missed their opportunity. They stayed in their zone. How many remember Blockbuster Video? Remember that? Back in the day, we had to go to Blockbuster and rent the videos, and uh, they had one annoying thing, and it was those late fees. Anybody ever get dinged for the late fees? Our oldest daughter, Larissa, she became a teenager, and I would go down to get a video, and there'd be $40, $60, $70 on late fees, and we finally had to cut her off. We're like, you're out of the family? No, not out of the family. We just said, you're, you're off the Blockbuster family deal. You're going to have to get your own because this is getting crazy. And one guy in the late 1990s, he got irritated over $40 of late fees, and they wouldn't waive the fee for him. And he got so irritated, and he had an idea, and so him and a partner started a company, a little company at that time called Netflix. And they did subscriptions where you could keep the, the video for over a month. And eventually they would get into with the technology they had. They were computer geniuses of, of doing the streaming as that became available. And the crazy thing is, in the early 2000s, as that market was growing, the CEO of Blockbuster went to his corporate board and said, hey, we need to get into subscriptions. But they couldn't make the change because they wanted to hang on to the $800 million, the 20% of their revenue that was generated through those subscriptions. How many Blockbusters are there today, not just in America, but the whole world? There's one. <laughs> and I've been there in Oregon. There's one. And by the way, it's not, don't go there for nostalgia, nostalgia's sake, all right? You get there, it's like a big letdown when you see it, you know? But they missed out. They weren't willing to make the change, and these Pharisees missed out on the one that the Scriptures spoke to. Just five quick things we need to remember as we look at parables to interpret them. We have to understand and ask the question, what does this parable teach about God and his kingdom? Jesus was teaching the kingdom, as Pastor Tony said last week, through the parables, wanting to describe and let people understand about the rule of God and the reign of God in the earth. And then what question does it answer? 22 of the 33 major parables start with a question or they are answering a question in the mind of the people like in this situation because the Pharisees were grumbling and wondering why he would do what he's doing. What is the closing punchline? All but nine have a closing punchline and the first two have a zinger of a closing punchline and the third parable today we'll look at just is a cliffhanger and leaves you looking at two opportunities of the way that uh, the older brother could respond. And then number four, what did Jesus want those original hearers to learn? That's why we have to remind ourselves of who was listening as Jesus was speaking. And then fifth, what action does Jesus expect from me or from us? 
And this is far much more than information. They're meant to be transformation for us in the kingdom of God. Parables, are, they're like ninja stories. They sneak up on you. And if you're a visual learner and a, a hearer and, and you like to envision things in your mind, and I always encourage people as you read your Bible, try to place yourself in the cultural context, in the historical context, and, and see it as a movie unfolding. And it'll help your understanding in such great ways. And, but they're like ninja stories, and they can unlock your heart to something that is holding you back, maybe sin in your life or a hardness or a bitterness, like the way that when God sent Nathan the prophet to David over his sin with Bathsheba and killing Uriah, her husband, Nathan tells this story and David gets angry and upset about it and then Nathan says, you are the man. And it unlocks David's heart and he falls down and repents. The parables are simple stories. They're not intended to introduce new doctrines. They illustrate, they illuminate existing doctrines. They're extended analogies, and, and hopefully you can see these the way you would see a good film. So the parable of the lost sheep, Luke 15, 4 to 7, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Man, this parable, this first one strikes right at the core of our value system. You know, for many of us today, we do the percentages, don't we? We do the odds. If you have money invested <laughs> in stocks and bonds and futures and all that, and you drop just 1%, you're pretty cool with that, right? You know, if you lose just $1 and you have 100 in your wallet, you're not too upset with that. But here, Jesus asked them, wouldn't any of you, and the answer was yes, in the culture that day, every one of them would go after that lost sheep because it meant something of value, not just financially, but because that shepherd loved his sheep and he wanted to rescue that sheep. I want to tell you, God places the greatest value on the one that is lost. He goes after the one, and we don't always think this way because we play the percentages. You know, a teacher is going to have so many of her students that will not graduate. So many marriages, you know, end up in divorce. And we could go on and on with the analogies of business, but many of us, we're okay with a 1% loss. But Jesus is talking about the priority of God and hitting home in the culture of today. And the thing is this, the hope of the 99 is found in the value of the one. You might say, well, man, I'm part of the 99. I'm not lost. Hey, the hope you have is because Jesus' priority is the lost. Because someday maybe you're the one that backslides. Maybe you're the one that walks away from God. Maybe you're the one that gets stuck on a cliff. And how many are thankful that Jesus is the one that rescues all of us, amen? And so he's asking, he's asking the listeners, the Pharisees and the scribes, to imagine that they are this man who has lost the one sheep, trying to ring their bell and to show them the priority of God going after the sinners and the tax collectors. <laughs> and I can just imagine, I can see the scene, man, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, they're just shaking their head, mumbling, and all the notorious sinners and the tax collectors, they're high-fiving over on the side with this parable. 
The priority of God is our priority, or it should be our priority. We can never forget that every one of us was once a lost sheep. During COVID, we lost a handful of our pastors to the, don't even want to say that word anymore, that curse word that starts with a C, that disease. And, uh, and we had some that were resurrected, came back to life, amazing testimonies. One of our elderly evangelists, Juan Piranha, he passed away and his wife four days later. And Juan, a little over 50 years ago, he was doing time in a prison for killing another man. When one of my dad's early evangelists went into that prison sharing the good news of Jesus, trying to rescue that one that was there, and Juan's heart illuminated, and he took, put faith in Jesus Christ. He was let out of prison on some kind of a, techni a technicality, and, and the first thing he did was to come to the Bible Academy to get training. He wanted to share what he had received with others that were lost, and he never became a great preacher or a great pastor of a church, but he always would go after the one, and one day he was in a, a, a town he hadn't been in before, and he would just always walk, and he didn't want to take any transportation. He said, Jesus walked everywhere he went. I want to be like Jesus. I'm going to walk too, and he got lost in the city and got thirsty in the Amazon heat. He, he knocked on a door, and the owner of the house opened the door. He started talking to this man. The man invited him in to give him some water, and Juan stayed there that whole day, that night, the whole next day, into the third day. Not only that man, but his entire household got saved, just like the Philippian jailer. By the time Juan made it to the conference, it was winding down. They were wrapping up. We're talking about going after the one that is lost. The priority of God is our priority. And then the punchline of the parable, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus was tweaking their understanding of this when he said this because they thought heaven was all about them living so perfectly according to the law. But Jesus is telling them, no, heaven gets excited when somebody who is far away from God, living in darkness, comes in to the marvelous light. That brings us to the parable of the lost coin and your assignment this week will be to just go read those verses about the parable of the lost coin. I'm just going to comment briefly before we jump into the last parable. The lost coin, the silver coin that the lady lost, a coin can't do anything to help itself be found if it's lost. <laughs> There's nothing that you can do to, to earn your way to not being lost. It's only what Jesus did and the Spirit of God drawing you and then faith activating and believing on the one whom the Father has sent. Remember after the, the miracle of the loaves and the fishes and they come asking Jesus, what are the works of God? They really wanted another miracle for him to feed them. But they said, what are the works of God? And he simply says this, the works of God are to believe in the one whom the Father has sent. That's it. It's all Jesus doing it in us, igniting it, and we simply believe. And so how does that silver coin get found? The lady she lights a lamp, and that's our prayer that we would ask you to pray for us when you remember Amazon Outreach to pray for Lorraine and I to be lit like lamps and sent into places of darkness and death to find lost people. One thing that is a little interesting, a little twist in this uh, parable from the first one, the punchline is just a little bit different. In the first one, it's in heaven there is much rejoicing. In this one, it says, in the presence of the angels, there is much rejoicing. 
And A.W. Robertson, the great Greek grammarian, points out on this. He says, you cannot miss this when you study it. This is God himself is the one doing the rejoicing over a lost sinner coming home. Luke 15, verses 11 to 16, the final parable, the parable of the lost son. To illustrate the point further, I mean, Jesus is throwing it down. He is throwing it down, wanting the Pharisees to pick this up. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Probably the most debasing, humiliating kind of work that a Jewish boy could do. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So we see as this story, this, this parable begins, we see this first scene, the rebellion of the younger brother. It, with an inheritance... The oldest son would always get double, a double portion of any of the other sons. And so here there's two sons. It's a very, the math is very simple for some of us that weren't good in math. It's two-thirds for the older boy, one-third for the younger son. But you didn't receive this until your father passed away. And this would be considered a terrible insult for a son to come and to demand or to ask for an inheritance because they're basically saying, I want you dead. I just want your stuff. I want you dead. And he wanted to take it. And this is, is such a mind-boggling thing for a father to even be willing to give that part of his wealth to his son. And some of you know people that are living far away from God that once knew the goodness of the Lord, that lived in the grace of God, and in the house of God. And uh, man, Pastor Tony, it, it's such a troubling thing when I look back that people that were even on staff with me, even some leaders in the church. And I see today how on social media they have walked away from what they once believed and, and they mock Christianity. They mock the Bible as the word of God and, and just the, the bitterness that is in them. And my heart just yearns to see them come back. And, and that's a hard thing, especially if it's a loved one, somebody, one of your children that, that isn't following in the ways of the Lord or a brother, a sister, a, a nephew, a niece, a cousin. It can be so hard to wrestle with. One preacher said, hey, if God throws Jonah off the boat, <laughs> I'll let God take care of him. That's an easy thing to quote from the pulpit. It's a, a lot harder thing to live out when you really love and care for somebody. And Just on the phone last night and this morning with a friend that is struggling, struggling with this in her own life with one of her kids, and it's not an easy thing. Luke 15, 17 to 20, when he finally came to his senses, by the way, I want to tell you that the prayers of a righteous man avail much. The prayers of a righteous woman avail much. If you have a loved one that has tried to just say, I'm done with all this and walked away, I want to tell you God can reach down and speak breathe life into that person again. Don't give up. Stay faithful in that intercessory prayer. God is good. Always remember that we had just started the church, and there was a man that I knew very well. He'd been a very esteemed pastor in the community, and he had lost a grandson that died a, a rough death to leukemia. And 
Pastor Gary, and one day he calls me up. We were in a strip mall at this point still. We had a few services, and he said, David, he said, I want to come meet with you. And I said, okay, great. And so he came and met with me in my office, and he said, David, he said, my wife, Carol, wants to come visit the church. They hadn't been in church for a while, and they had tried to do different things and wasn't working out. And, and he said, but I want you to know something. He goes, I am so angry at God for taking my grandson. He said, I don't even know if I believe this book anymore. He said, I'm only coming for the sake of my wife, and don't you dare ever even think of asking me to do anything in the church. You know, I pastored my best, Pastor Tony, nice, smiley, pastor face, and, you know, said, oh, brother, don't worry, you know. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why would I ever let you do anything with how bitter and angry you are at God right now? So in our church, we would do a kid's song when we started the service, and, and then we'd send the kids off to their, their area and then go on with the service. One of my favorite parts of the service was to pray over those kids as they went out of the, out of the front of the, the church. And, um, and I look back and I saw Pastor Gary and, and Carol back there. And they walk in and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, invite Pastor Gary up to pray over the kids. And I thought, man, Jesus, what are you telling me? That ain't going to work. And, uh, you know, I've had lots of arguments with God. I've never won one of them yet. And uh, I'm like, man, he's going to get up and just, I'm like, this is the end of the church. He's going to cuss and swear and run out. And I'll never forget, I get up there and I do my best, Pastor Tony. Oh, we're so blessed to have an esteemed longtime minister in the community at large. Pastor Gary's here. Would you come up and pray with these kids? And I'll always remember, he slips out of the side on the right, right side of the church and starts coming up and the tears just flowing down his face as he prayed over those kids. It's amazing what God can do in a moment sometimes, and I'm all about good counseling and psychological help, but sometimes in a moment the Holy Spirit can heal and Gary would end up joining the church. His wife would serve on our board. He uh, was our visitation pastor for years. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father we see the decision of the younger brother, something ignited, but he was doing the morality thing, and he was really saying, man, I guess the best I can even be in my moral self is to just be like one of the slaves of my father, and I'll just come back to be one of his hired servants. And so he comes back, and we see what happens. And while he was still a long way off, in verse 20, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And I love this. He never gets to finish all of his rehearsed speech in his mind. <laughs> and his father said to his servants, Quick, this shows you that there was more than just the father at the scene. There was other people from the community at large. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. What would be the finest robe? That would be the father's robe, right? He's saying, I want to clothe you with my righteousness and, and cover your shame. Putting the ring of authority on his hands and, and the, the sandals, your feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel. And we're going to kill the calf we have been fattening. Going to have some good veal tonight, some barbecue. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And I love this. So the 
the party began. Jesus is trying to get through to those religious leaders that this is when heaven really celebrates. This is why I'm eating with sinners and notorious sinners and tax collectors. Now, there was a well-known parable of this story back in the day. It was the story of the two sons and, and, and the story that the Pharisees would have known then and the scribes that was taught and shared was that when it got to this point in the story and the son comes back, because he had so dishonored the father when he asked to come back and be a servant. The father says, get out of here. Get lost. Go back to your pigs. Go back to the friends that you had squandering the money. You are not welcome here. And so you can imagine the Pharisees are thinking, oh, we've heard this one before. We know where you're going. But then Jesus puts a whole different spin on the story. And the heart of God is that every one of his children would come to their senses and come home and he's waiting, and maybe you're online today, and you're tuning in and watching for a few moments, we want you to know that this church is a place of grace and truth for your life, that there are new mercies that are here every day and week after week, that your life can be redeemed and rescued and restored. And so the younger son thought the best case scenario was to just be a slave, but the father is saying, no, you are my Son, And somebody needs to hear this today that you are not the total sum of your life experiences or just some part thereof. You are who your Father says you are. You're redeemed. You're loved. You are welcome in the house of God. And we keep reading Luke 15, 25 to 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. You can get this scene that Jesus is wanting the Pharisees to understand who they are acting like. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once... Notice he also has a slave mentality. But never once refused to do a single thing you told me to, and in all that time you never gave me even one young, skinny, measly goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And I love the way the father responds to him. The father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. We see the bitterness of the older brother and how now his bitterness is disgracing the father. And the language in Greek that he uses, it's like he is, he's saying, hey, look you, and not honoring his father with proper words. He's on the outside of the door, of the door and he's casting a vote publicly of, I have no confidence in what you've done, dad. Such a startling ending to this last parable, but the three things that the father reminds the older brother of, you're a son. You need to know this today. You're a son. You're a daughter of the living God. Nothing can change that. You're always with me. I love this Bible promise all through, even in the Psalms, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And all of these things, and then all that I have is yours. When we have Jesus, 
This is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's not you individually, but you corporately, you as a group. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is no mystery to the law. There's no mystery to that at all. I mean, it's full of rules and, and things that you know how to follow, but the mystery of Christ in you. And the tragic thing is so many people don't realize these promises of who they are and what they have and who is with them in this life. The story of Danny Simpson, and I'll have the worship team come up. Maybe some of us old-timers, us 50 and overs will remember this. 1990, Ottawa, Canada, Danny Simpson, after casing out this bank for a week, walks into it with the family pistol and holds up the bank, and he clears $6,000, gets it in a bag, and he leaves. Well, the the Mounties there, they noticed, uh, as they looked at the video feed cameras, they, <laughs> they recognized him because he had come in all the previous days without wearing a mask, and so they knew who he was, and he didn't have a very good plan. They caught him, and they fined him with the money, the $6,000, and the gun, and they discovered a pretty interesting thing. He, he would end up doing six years in prison for the $6,000, I guess, a year for every $1,000 in Canada, so... If you're thinking of going into a bank, just know the time you'll be doing. And, uh, and so they, this gun was an antique gun, 1914 semi-automatic Colt 45 built by the Ross Rifle Company, valued in 1990 at over $100,000. Now imagine, you're going into a bank with a pistol worth $100,000 to walk away with a bag of 6000 and you do six years' time in prison not knowing what you're holding. And man, when I pastored, tragically, there was way too many Danny Simpsons in my church not realizing that they were sons and daughters of the God, not knowing their identity, not knowing that he is always with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. When you have the Holy Spirit, you have the comforter. He is the one that gives wisdom, amen? It doesn't matter what situation you're in. You can be up against impossible odds. I'll go up against those odds with the Holy Spirit, the one that knows all things. He's the wonderful counselor. (laughs) Sometimes we need counsel in a moment. We needed it through that bad word that starts with a C, of how to be a leader in church, how to do missions work, how to stay doing work in your business. Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. Tim Keller wrote a book called Prodigal God, and after many centuries, this parable became known as the prodigal son because in many instances it's talking about prodigal means to be reckless, extravagant, many times with money. But Tim Keller brings out a great thought on this when he asked the question, who's the real prodigal in the story? It's the Father giving that reckless love, that extravagant grace to have his son come back, willing to spend the most costly thing, sending his only son, that whosoever will could be saved. Prodigal God. So the priority of God is for those who are lost. I just want to end, I want to put this map up on the screen. I'm going to end with this, and then I want to pray with you. This is the Valley of the Yavari in Brazil. It's where three countries come together, but on the Brazil side, Peru, Colombia, 
Brazil, the Tres Fronteras, and the Valley of the Avari, the Brazilian government hasn't allowed mission work for over 45 years to take place because of the uncontacted tribes in Brazil. In this region, there's about 18 uncontacted tribes. We have 15 in Peru. There's a few in Ecuador, some in India. There's not many around the world, but there's a few, and the governments protect them. You'll go to jail for the rest of your life if you try to go in. And so we've had a strategy to try to get as close to where these uncontacted tribes are, which are all the unreached tribes in this valley of the Avari. And we could scroll through these pictures of the Corobo, the Matisse, and then the Marie tribe are in these pictures. And then the last one, I'm holding these spears of my friend Guido. We started working near there, setting up an Atalaya de Norte and across from it in Peru to where these tribal people, the unreached ones, come out and they sell their wares and take them in, give them housing, help feed them food and get to know them and share the gospel with them. And so some of these chiefs got saved over the last few years. And one of them is he heard the gospel and he just was weeping at hearing this beautiful story. And he gave his spear, one of the ones that Guido's holding, this Canterbury spear. And he said, my father used this exact spear to kill other men back in the day. But now that I've heard this good news... <laughs> And we have these stories of Jesus. He said, I am laying my spear down and I am taking up the gospel of Jesus. Let's give the Lord some praise today.